Amen. We've got a good, good God. We're going to take a look at him here tonight, Jonah, continuing chapter 2. Um, <clears throat> after Jonah issues his prayer to the Lord, if you remember we looked at it, he didn't really credit God much with that. He credited himself a lot about how much he prayed and how much he cried out and how much he thought and how much he did. And he didn't seem to remember he's the one that got himself into that mess. So he should have been crying, but he didn't seem to put a lot of emphasis toward God in it. But he, he prayed, and, and God speaks to the fish, and, and it spits him out on land, and that's kind of the end of the journey. But what we look at there, and we see is that Jonah has held on to his rejection for four days. He held on to his rejection when he went down to, to Joppa, when he went to catch a ship to Tarshish, and he said, God, I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to do what you want. He got on board a ship going the wrong way, and in spite of the storms and all that's going on, and he knew that's why the storm was there, he said, God, I'm not going to do what you want to do. He held on to a stubbornness, took three days and three nights in Whale University to, to understand that God's going to get God's way. And so then he starts crying out from down there, and God <laughs> spits him out. And, you know, it's amazing how stubborn we can be, isn't it? See, it's not just Jonah. It's called people. It's called humans. It's amazing how stubborn we can be when, when, when things don't go our way. It's amazing how cold-hearted we can be because we don't want God to give somebody else the same kind of mercy he gave me. We don't want God to forgive people for things that he's given Forgiven us of at least as much. We don't want God to do something for somebody else in spite of all that is already done for us because we don't think they deserve it, right? It's amazing how judgmental we can be when, when we tend to kind of forget the things we've done in our life and we want to cast stones over into somebody else's pond for the things that they've done in, in their life. So we can't really look at this story right here of Jonah and be overly critical because he's just a human just like us. He's living life in the flesh just like us. He's battling life and desires and passions and all the things just like us. What we can do with the story of Jonah is be reminded of the magnitude of the mercy of God and be very thankful that it is as great as it is. Verse number 10, the Lord spake to the fish and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Now, Psalms chapter 148 tells us that we are to praise the Lord. It is our whole duty to praise the Lord. Our whole duty as man, certainly as children of the God, it, it is our duty to praise the Lord. But verse number 8 says, fire and hell. This is, this is Psalms 148 and in verse 8. Fire and hell, snow and vapor, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and hills, fruitful trees, all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl, kings of the earth and all people, princes, judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is excellent. His glory is above earth and heaven. He also exalted the horn of his people and the praise of all of his saints, even to the children of Israel, a people near to him. And then it says, praise ye the Lord. That, that text tells us that fire and hell are at his command. 
the wind and the seas, the cattle, beast, all creeping things, everything is at his command. In just a few verses, we saw the wind blowing at his command, and we saw the wind cease at his command. Everything is obeying his will. We see God use a fish to redirect a man's mistake. You know, God uses fish a lot of times in the Bible. I mean, we see some great miracles about the fish, not just like a couple of times when he had the disciples. Well, they weren't disciples the first time, but he had them cast the net on the right side of the boat. And you get the great catch of the fish or the time when, when he, he was at Capernaum and the tax collectors were a little sideways because they were saying he wasn't paying taxes. And they asked the disciples, does your master not pay tribute? And he told Peter, he said, go, go down there to water. Drop your line in, and the first fish you catch, take that gold coin out of his mouth and go up there and pay tribute. I mean, how big is God? To how many? I wonder how many hundred years he dropped that coin in ahead of time for the fish to pick it up. I mean, it's amazing how awesome God is, but he uses fish for a lot of different stuff. And right here, you, he uses a fish to transport a man, to, to redirect a man's uh, attention. There, there's a lot of time... In the Bible where God uses the wind. You, you remember when he's asleep in the boat and the disciples woke him up. Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he spoke, peace be still. And, and, and the winds and everything ceased. And his own disciples said, who is this man? What manner of man is this that, that the winds and the sea obey his voice? And you know the time when he, he had the, the, the sea come into a storm as the disciples were going across when he'd gone up on a mountain to pray and he put them in that storm on purpose. He sent them into it so that he could come walking on the water. He has full command over all of nature, over all things. Now, here, here's why I'm saying all that. God commanded a man and the man disobeyed God. He commanded the wind, it obeyed. The seas, it obeyed. The fish, it obeyed. Everything in creation God commands and everything obeys. The only stubborn knuckleheads he deals with in all of his creation is us. The animals don't argue with God's command. The wind doesn't cease to blow because it's tired and it tells God I don't feel like blowing right now. The seas don't stop raging because God has told them to and they go, man, I don't, I don't feel like being wavy right now. The mountains don't stand tall if God says fall. Everything, everything, everything in creation immediately at once obeys the voice of God. Who do we think we are? Hello, y'all with me on Wednesday night? Am I the only one here that has ever thought it was okay to have a discussion with God about what I didn't want to do? Am I by myself? Am I the only one that didn't feel like doing that right now? Am I the only one that I don't like going to people's house? I'm not going to go see them. Am I the only one that I don't really like the way that situation looks? I'm, I'm not fixing to pull up in that parking lot and talk to them. Who do we think we are? We, we, we are the only part of creation that will debate with God or disobey God. And, and yet Jonah disobeying God, he uses a fish not to kill him, but to save him. Not to hurt him, but to help him. Not to chastise him, really, but to put him in the right place so that God can bless him. You're going to do what I want you to do. And at the end, God blesses everything. 
It says in chapter 3 that the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. It said, arise, go to Nineveh. Y'all remember that sounds like chapter 1 right at the beginning, right out the gate, don't it? Go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. He, and I'm pretty sure he don't have to ask Jonah, do you remember what I told you the first time? Jonah knows exactly what he told him the first time. He doesn't repeat and get in what to do. He says, you go do what I've already told you to do. Pastor Terry Barnes titled that chapter, Can You Hear Me Now? I imagine God has his undivided attention, but here, here's the problem. When you look at this story, it, it's obvious that Jonah's direction has been changed. But I don't believe his heart has. His direction of personal travel is different, but, but his attitude is the same. We're to serve God with a merry heart. We ought to be thankful that God even allows us to breathe, much less uses us. He uses us to speak to somebody else that is on their way to hell so that he can save their soul out of eternal hell, wash away their sin, write their name in the Lamb's book of life. He lets us do that. And then he gives you a reward just for doing what he sent you to go do. So, so Jonah should be going with, with a merry heart. But in all honesty, the only reason he's going is because God made it clear you're going to go. One, one way or another. I got more fish in the sea and I got some critters over here on the land too. We're, we're going to get where we want to go. We're going to accomplish the goal. So I, I, I was thinking about, you know, we, we've already talked about it's not fear that's keeping Jonah from going. Although you'd, it'd be okay if it was because we know how rude and ruthless and mean and vile the Ninevites are. The Assyrians is very brutal people. They hate the Jew. So we could understand if it was fear, but we've already looked at it, it really isn't. It's faith in God's why he's not going. Because he has faith that God will forgive him and he don't want God to. So that's why he's not going. But I, I was thinking about fearful times because I was thinking about what I said. If it was me, I'd be scared. I, I'd, I'd be scared going to my, I'd probably have a different reason. I probably wouldn't go, but mine would be different from Jonah. I'd be scared of what they do to me. But I thought about something. I wrote it down. It's more dangerous to be in a safe place without God than to be in a dangerous place with God. Because if you're with God, no danger can come upon us except God allows it. There are a million lives at stake. 120,000 children. God doesn't have time for one man's disobedience. He didn't have time to call up somebody. I I he, God probably had time to call somebody else, but God wasn't going to call somebody else. He said, I called you. Now you're on the land. Now you remember what I told you to do? Now let's go get about it. So Jonah arose in verse number three of chapter three. And he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. Sounded like God got his attention. But I'm concerned about what he did. I, I may be a little puzzled is a better word. But it says that he cried. He said, yet 40 days in Nineveh. Shall be overthrown. Notice he's not wasting any time. He's not stopping to talk to anybody. He's not trying to explain what God has sent. He's running through town and he's only telling part of the story. God has made a lot known to Jonah. He's telling him, go to Nineveh, go to that great city, cry aloud. God has made it known that they've got 40 days to repent. 
And if they do, they're forgiven. If they don't, they're destroyed. That's what he's supposed to be telling them. Amen? Everybody remember, that's what he's supposed to tell them. He don't say anything about that. He doesn't mention anything about repenting. He doesn't mention anything here about salvation. He doesn't mention anything about... He has eight words. This is the shortest prophecy given in all of the Bible. Eight words. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. A very blunt message. Doom and gloom. It offers no hope. He doesn't attempt to delude it. He doesn't try to water it down. He doesn't make any attempt to explain it. He says, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And he offers no attempt to give them an alternative. God's message was conditional. Y'all still with me? God's message is conditional. Amen means I agree. Anybody agree? If you repent. Then I'm going to forgive you. You got 40 days. The number 40 is always trials and testings in the word of God. You got 40 days to get your act together. You got 40 days to repent. I'm not worried about 39, but on the 40th day, you better have repented from some sin, asked for some forgiveness and got it. You got 40 days. And if you turn, I'm going to forgive you. God's message is not doom and gloom. God's message is not going to be that, that Nineveh is doomed. God's message is Nineveh is doomed if. Jonah don't mention if. He, he, don't, he don't say anything about it. It's not that God's going to change if Nineveh changes their mind. God doesn't change, but he offers warnings to man. And the warnings to man is to give us an opportunity to change. You know, we've talked about the stop signs. Those are warnings. We've talked about the red lights. Those are opportunities because you know, listen, it, you know what I'm talking about, stop signs, red lights. You know when you're going to do something out of the will of God. You know when you're doing something wrong, when you're about to do something wrong, when you don't need to do what you're doing. You're looking at something on your phone. You ought not be looking at it. You pull up something on your computer you ain't got no business getting into. You know. And when God puts that little stop sign of pause, you know what that's about. That's the time to turn around. God, God offers warnings, and God offered a warning here in, in his message. See, God in his holiness demands that sin be punished. But God's grace demands that a man be given a chance to repent. And God's mercy demands that a repentant heart be forgiven. Jonah just gives part of the story. I believe he purposefully doesn't mention any of that because in his heart, he doesn't want him to repent. He's already, he makes that clear in his own words out of his own mouth that he thinks they deserve it. So he doesn't even bother to put the thought in their head, turn from your wicked ways, turn from your evil, repent and be forgiven. He just says, yet 40 days, Nineveh's going to be destroyed. That, that's the only thing he gives them. Now, I believe, I believe that we see the Holy Spirit go to work right here. Because God obviously used the man, he obviously used Jonah the man to sound the alarm. 
But it seems obvious to me that the Holy Spirit is working right here to fill in what Jonah leaves out. See, it just shows me a little bit that God don't have to have you. He chooses to use you. God doesn't need us. He loves us in spite of us. He didn't have to have Jonah. He can accomplish his purpose, but I believe he's using Jonah for the same reason he does everything. God always uses a man, but it seems clear to me that, that the Holy Spirit has to, to fill in the blanks because with Jonah, all he's offering is his eight words of, of doom and gloom, but in verse number five, it says that the people of Nineveh believed who? Wait a minute, I thought Jonah was the one talking to him. I, I thought Jonah was the one running through the streets. I, I thought Jonah was the one God sent, but, but that's not what it says. It says the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast. Put on sackcloth and ashes from the greatest even to the least of them. Notice it doesn't say they believed Jonah. It says they believed. Now, if they believed Jonah, then Nineveh is doomed in 40 days, right? Ain't that what he said? So if they believe Jonah, Nineveh is doomed. But that's not what it says. It says they believed God. That tells me that God revealed himself to fill in the blanks that Jonah left out. It seems, it seems obvious to me that, that God reminded them about repentance because Jonah sure didn't. It seems obvious to me that the Holy Spirit had to have moved and, and, and spoke to them about forgiveness because Jonah sure didn't. It seems obvious that the Holy Spirit had to have moved in the hearts and minds of people and explained some things, reminded them about the mercy of God because Jonah sure didn't. You know what that tells me? If, if God can speak to them in their sin and their wickedness that is so bad, let me just pause the time out right here. If America's as bad as she is and he ain't said nothing about destroying it yet, how bad must Nineveh have been? Y'all with me? How bad must it have been? How bad must the sin have been? Open sin, accepted sin, in your face sin, calling good evil and evil good, wickedness all over the place. How evil must this place have been? Yet the Holy Spirit communicated with the hearts of people. So how hard can it be for the Holy Spirit to communicate with us? See, we know God talks to us. And, and he talked to them the same way, and they believed God, and they proclaimed a fast. This is probably the largest revival in the history of mankind, not to mention it's a one-day revival according to the text. He runs through shouting, he spends a day, and, and you have a million people turn to God. Remember, remember when we cheated a couple weeks ago and we peaked and we went over to the, to the last verse there in the book? And how God said to Jonah, should I not have spared the 120,000 who don't know the right hand from the left? Y'all remember that? We talked about there's 120,000 children. They don't understand the right hand from the left. God says, should I not spare the children and, and the cattle and, and, and all those things? See, even, even the Ninevites here, in, in their repentance, they included the animals. 
Remember what God said? Should I not have spared the 120,000 on the right hand left and much cattle? Well, verse number five, you see everybody involved. The people of Nineveh believed. They proclaimed the fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest even to the least of them. Verse number six, the word makes it to the king. Word came into the king of Nineveh, and he arose from the, from the throne, laid his robe from him, covered him with sackcloth and satin ashes, caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and nobles, saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hand. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every animal. Nobody eats, nobody drinks, nobody works. Everybody turn from your wicked ways. Man, what a amazing picture of a national day of repentance. Man, what would it take for a day like that in America? COVID didn't do it. If anything, it's probably the first thing we ever saw happen where people from turned from the church. 911 didn't do it. Sorry. Terrible reminder, but people flocked to the church for almost two or three whole weeks. Out of that moment of fear that it's the end of time. But then they realize that it was just some terrorist and some tragic event. And then they go right back to their old ways. What would it take? What, what would it take to get that kind of revival in America? Verse number 9. This is what the king says. Who can tell? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What was Jonah supposed to tell them? 40 days. You got 40 days to repent. Now, if Jonah had told them, then they could tell whether or not God would repent, right? What does the king say? Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Man, what a powerful statement. Who, who can tell? That, that means the king is saying, I don't know if God will forgive us or not. I don't know if he will or not, but I know this. We're going to do our best to try and find out. We're going to repent from our sins. Put on sackcloth and ashes. We're going to do some fasting and some praying. I, I, I don't know if he will or not, but, but Jonah sure didn't offer him any help. Jonah offers no plan of salvation here to this doomed group of people. Jonah offers no direction for repentance. He doesn't offer any solution to their problem. The king heard what Jonah said, and the king said, Who can tell? We're, we're just going to sit back in some sackcloth and ashes. We're going to put some ashes on, on the cattle. Nobody eats, drinks, nobody does anything. We're going to put all of our attention towards God. Who can tell? I'm, I'm, I'm going to plug it in and we're going to move right on. But there's enough people in this room that if we took that approach, God could forgive this whole nation. Anybody hear me? There's enough people in this room, in this building, and on this campus, that if we took that kind of all-out approach to serve God, we could change the nation. Who can tell? 
I have my right to believe what I want, just like you believe yours, but I believe God's that big. And I believe God's looking for somebody that faithful. I believe God's looking for somebody that'll just say, just thus saith the Lord and stand on it. I mean, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, have been taken out of the Bible. If my people which call by my name, humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then we'll hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, I will heal their land. That's not out of the Bible. I know it's in the Old Testament. But so is all the rest of the Old Testament. The New Testament didn't erase the Old Testament, it fulfilled the Old Testament. So it tells me that the same thing's true. If my people sitting in this house right now would turn themselves, and they would turn with this kind of heart, there's no telling what God could do in America. But he, he says, who can tell? We're, we're, we're going to turn our attention to God to see if he'll forgive us. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. But we're going to do what we need to do to get right with God. See, we, we as Christians... We have the promise right here in front of us. We can tell. It is written. I know exactly what God says he'll do and exactly what our role is for God to do the things he says do. So we, we have it written right here. But, but we, don't, we don't want to obey by that. And, and, and we wonder... Why, why are things like they are? I know I was preaching to the choir. It's Wednesday night crowd. But I was thinking of an example today. Because this is probably, I'm not sure. In, in this casual Christianity day that we're in, <coughs> there, there may be other pet sins and all the garbage out there in social media. I, I don't know. I, I believe probably has been and quite possibly still is. The biggest area of failure within the church as a whole is tithing. And right up here, oh, there you go. They're talking about money again. They always want to talk about money. No, we don't ever want to talk about it. We just have to. Because we do have to talk about sin. And, and sin is sin. And, and that's probably, I, I promise you, in the top three, you start messing with the pocketbook, people will get all bent out of shape. But see, God himself calls it stealing from God. Therefore, if you want the blessings from heaven, what do you do? Well, you don't rob the throne of God. You, you, you don't rob God. That's what he said is in Malachi 3, 8, will a man rob God? I didn't say that. God said it. The Holy Spirit wrote at the hand of man and said, will you rob me? Will a man rob God? And they asked him a question. Wherein have we robbed thee? And God answers the question, tithes and offerings. He says, you're cursed with a curse for you've robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring, up, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house. But then God offers this challenge. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. That, that word prove means tempt me. You want to try me? Put me to the test? Knock yourself out. Go ahead. Prove me. Tempt me right here and see if I'll not open the windows of heaven. Pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. He says in verse number 11, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. That means your gardens will produce a yield like you can't imagine. Your grapevines will have clusters that you can't carry. Your fruit trees will have limbs about to break from the abundance that I will put on them. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed. God said, you just take care of tithes and offerings. I'm not asking anything great. You just take care of the commandment. I'm going to bless you so much in your land that all the nations of the earth will call you blessed just because you didn't rob from me. 
Just because you followed one little commandment, just because you obeyed this one thing, the nations are going to call you blessed. For you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. God tells us, put him to the test. And Christians continually say, I can't afford to tithe. Point taken. That's why. You're right. You can't because you're robbing from God and he's not going to pay your bills for you. He's not going to make a way out of no way for you because you're robbing him from heaven. Well, I tried it one time and I didn't get a million dollars in the bank. I didn't win the lottery. We had no business wasting your money on that in the first place. But God never promised to make you a millionaire. What he does is all of a sudden he makes bills paid. You don't know how it happened. God, God makes ways out of no ways. It, it does it, but the first thing you've got to do is prove him and put him to the test. This king right here, this Gentile king living in sin, whole nation in sin, he doesn't have that promise. God didn't tell him through Jonah, hey, repent me of sin and I'll open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. Jonah didn't even tell him to repent. Jonah said, 40 days I'm going to destroy you. The king knew enough about God. The Holy Spirit moved on him and he said... Who can tell? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to repent and we're going to hand ourselves over to God. And we're just going to trust God. Whatever God does from there, we're, we're, we're going to turn back to God. Verse number 10, God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. God repented of the evil that he had said he would do to them and he did it not. Simply put because they repented and turned from their sin god forgave their sin he removed their punishment just like he did ours and mercy won again how many times has mercy won in our lives man aren't we thankful that mercy keeps on winning shouldn't this be like the greatest news ever I mean, a million people saved from wrath and saved from death. This million people, 120,000 children, all the animals, everything just saved from destruction. Shouldn't that be a hallelujah moment? I mean, assuming we had a real president. And that real president came on every social media out there. And proclaimed the day of prayer and fasting. Told everybody go home from work. Spend your day in prayer. Don't eat. Don't drink. Don't feed your animals. Go home right now. And spend everything in prayer. And who can tell. If God will bless America again. I mean that's assuming we had some similarity. Of a real president. But, but re what, what, would, what would God do. Here's the truth. If that's what he said and the people did nothing, God would do nothing. It boils down to the people. And it still does. If the president said, well, I'm, I'll be careful. I have to respect the position. But if he does what he's doing now, which is nothing, and we turn to God, God's still going to bless the nation. It really doesn't boil down to the command from the top. It boils down to what the people did. Everybody turned back. Everybody turned away. But then we find Jonah mad because God forgave him. 
We'll, we'll see that. We've got a little bit further to go. Not much, but a little bit further. But, but, but Jonah is mad at God because judgment didn't fall on them. He said in chapter 4, verse 1, that it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He's ticked off. It displeased him exceedingly, and he was very angry. Verse number 2. We see Jonah's faith again. You know, we talked about faith. That's the reason I believe he didn't go to Nineveh, because his faith in God. He wasn't fear. He knew God would forgive him. He tells us that later on in chapter 4. I knew you'd forgive him. But, 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 but that, that's why I didn't want to go. But I see we, we see Jonah's faith right here in verse number 2. As a matter of fact, in Jonah's anger right here, we have some of the most wonderful facts about God ever written. Right, right here in this verse is, is some of the greatest facts about God, our God, written in all the scriptures of, of everything that's there. Because this is what he said. He prayed to the Lord. He said, I pray thee, O Lord, was this not my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore, I fled into Tarshish. For why? I knew what? Somebody help me. I knew that thou art a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth thee of the evil. What an amazing God. Right about now, who in this story better be glad that that is an accurate description of God? Jonah. He better be glad that he got that part of the story right. Because it took the same grace that forgave the Ninevite to forgive him. I mean, the truth is right now, Jonah, I, I, he's got this terrible attitude over a great deed. And he knew, he knew all that about God. He knew that he's gracious and merciful and kindness and forgive. He, he knew all that. And he didn't share one word of that with the people of Nineveh, according to the text, because he didn't want them to know. He wanted them to die. Then in verse number three, we find that Jonah is still looking to die. He tells God, therefore, take my life, I beseech thee. Therefore, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. For it's better for me to die than to live. See, I, I believe even in that, I see Jonah's faith again. Even in his little pity party, I believe he'd rather face God than face those Jews. And based on what we've studied in the Old Testament, we know why. I, I believe that, that he would rather have to fall into the hands of God than to fall into the hands of men. I believe even in his little pity party and rejection right here, he still has enough faith in God that he would rather go that way. But, but now we can't be too hard on Jonah because we, we've been mad at some stuff before. We, we've murmured when, when God blessed some people before. I mean, why would God let somebody like a Ted Turner be a multi-millionaire the way he bashes Christian on open air and talks about no God and atheism? Why would God? Well, it's God's business. Ain't none of mine. I can tell you this. God's grace is sufficient. He can be saved. But I can also tell you this. He better enjoy what he's got because if he don't, when it ends, it all ends. And when ours ends, it just begins. I got way more than some money in the bank and an old house is going to rock down and fall and grass that needs to be cut. 
I got a gold driveway and a mansion that don't need to be clean. Robin said, amen, thank you, Jesus. So, so we, we, we look and, and we're like, why, God, why do you bless so-and-so? Well, they don't hardly ever even go to church. Why do you bless them like that? Well, you know they don't read the Bible. You know they can't spend no time. Well, God, you know I'm doing better than them. I mean, I go to church. I go to church every Sunday. I, I read my Bible. I pray most times. God, why you don't bless them? I'm doing so much better than them in whose eyes? I mean, reality is if we're in church and we're here, then, then we know what we're supposed to be doing. They don't know. So who's the worst offender? The one that don't know or the one that knows? I don't know. Verse number four might, might be as merciful a statement as it is in all the Bible. I mean, Jonah is talking to God. He's mad. At, he, he's not just mad at God. He's reprimanding God. Can you get over that? He is reprimanding God for doing what he thinks is wrong. God just saved mil, a million people. And, and Jonah's mouthing off to God about it. I mean, if you were God, how would you handle that? I mean, we'd at least jerk him up and snatch a knot in him, right? Reality, I'm probably going to grant him his wish. You want to die? Good. I'm tired of listening to your mouth. Done. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I wouldn't deal with it right. That's why God don't give me any control over nothing. But God, in all of his mercy, in spite of all this, he asked one simple question. He asked Jonah, doest thou well to be angry? God says, all I did was just save a million people. All I did was just deliver people out of the wrath. All I did was just spare lives and let people live and let the children live and let the people fulfill the rest of their lives. All I did was just forgave people. Why are you upset? See, what, what more proof do we need that Jonah's statement is completely true? Gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness and repenteth thee of evil. What more proof do we need than Jonah himself that that statement is true? Can I do you one better? Anybody got a mirror at home? Go home and look in it. And don't take too much of a trip on memory lane to get you in trouble. But remember the stuff that God's been merciful to us about. And, and, and I don't have to look past this skin right here to see the truth of Jonah's statement that God is merciful, gracious God, slow to anger, great kindness. Jonah, these people were lost in their sin. You are my prophet who chose to disobey my voice and run from what I gave you to do. And you think they're the bad guys? You, you think I'm having to show mercy to forgive them? I figure it took a lot more mercy for Jonah, probably than for the Ninevites. I can't prove that, but I figure it's got to be at least equal standards. I think when we look at this story, I think we can't be too hard on Jonah. I, I, I think we owe Jonah a great debt of gratitude. I, I think. I, I think we need to take time. 
to thank Jonah for reminding me and showing me just how merciful God is. Because this took a lot for me. I, 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 I think maybe we owe Jonah a little bit of thank you for your bullheaded stubbornness and being a lot like us. Because we can take your story and understand that what you said is exactly true. God is slow to anger and gracious and kind and loving and forgiving and, and, and merciful. And it shows me just how willing God is to forgive even somebody like me. Amen? Well, verse 5, Lord willing, that's going to be a good place. We'll pick up, we'll pick up there at verse 5 next week and probably take a look at the end of the story. Anybody thankful for how kind God is? How merciful God is? Isn't it, isn't it crazy if you really look at a story? I, how many times I've studied Jonah? I mean, it's one of my Bible college courses. I've never seen the things that I've seen like that. I've, I've never seen, I want to say, my level of sin in it the way I have looking at this. And how merciful God had to be to me. So I don't have any right. To look down my nose at Jonah, was he wrong? Yeah, absolutely. That's what reminds me how merciful God is. God, thank you so much for the mercy. I can't imagine the mercy that is bestowed upon this room right here, God. If, if you took every account right here just in this room, sitting inside your church house on a Wednesday night, I can't imagine the magnitude of mercy that it has taken to cover this group sitting right here, Father. We come tell you thank you. In one accord, Lord, full of all thanksgiving and all praise, we come tell you thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for saving sinners just like me, God. Thank you for the precious blood of Jesus that taketh away the sins of the world. We love you, God. You've been so good to us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious, sweet, holy name. God's people.